Hello, and welcome to The Trolley Stops Here, the official podcast of First Church Media, where we talk about real things with real people from a faith perspective. I am Taylor Darden, and a song I never get tired of hearing is Send in the Clowns. And I'm Laurie Ann Rooker, and a song that I've been really enjoying lately is something called Overcomer by Mandisa. Mandisa. Okay. I think I know which song that is. Yeah, I know. Overcomer. Is that it? Is that, is that a really good rendition of it? <laughs> yep. That's it. That's okay. it. I'm, you're going to break right into it. I know. Any minute. I'm going to no, hear your I will spare. I will yep. spare everyone because I don't know that song well <laughs> enough to sing it. And I don't think I could do it justice even if I did. I picked song Send in the Clowns because I think it's a really interesting song and in that it has been recorded by so many different people. It has a really yeah. narrow range and it's only a few words per phrase, all these like technical musical reasons, which means that a lot of people can sing it and sing it well. So they're able to put their own, all able to put their own spin on it. There's jazzy versions. There's like really depressing versions. Mm. There's, mm-hmm. there's all these other versions. So I like, I think it's really cool. <laughs> it's just a great way to see like the stamp that a particular singer can put on a song. That was my choice. So, yeah. um, so how you doing, Laurieanne? Yeah. And I picked oh. Overcomer because I. Go ahead. Tell me about Overcomer. Yeah, I'm Sorry. doing well. I'm getting out of and, I'm going to talk about Overcomer yeah. for just one second. And that is because um, I just love faith songs about overcoming any obstacle. And I don't hear mm. a lot about that. And I think we hear a lot about mm. religious rituals and so forth. But something that's um, moving and, and involves um, challenges. And it also, to me, fits for a lot of what's happening right now individually and collectively so it's just been inspiring to me and uh anyway that's a little bit about my song of choice yeah i think that's a really good point i feel that way about you know a lot of religious church music is if there's no acknowledgement at all of pain anywhere like that things can be tough and that there's stuff to overcome it's it's a tougher song for me to connect with, I think, you know, because because that's particularly right now, which is like you said, we're mm-hmm. living in, in a world where there's just so many things that are just going bonkers that I feel like if we if we don't acknowledge that at all, it feels a little phony. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate music that doesn't do that. Mm. So I will return to my previous question. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. I had such an interesting week in that we had our business uh, conference, which normally we attend in person and discuss all kinds of business in our in our region and so forth. And this year it was done virtually. So it gave me a chance to uh, travel to Cleveland and be with my family in Cleveland, uh, one of whom is one of our speakers today, Lawrence Clark, and um, gave me a chance to exercise and be at the conference and really engage in it, listen. And it was just a great week. And as much as I don't want to be in a pandemic, I was so happy to find a creative way to be with my family, to attend my conference and to exercise, which we all know I love. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a really great week for me. That's Taylor. great to hear. I'm I'm really glad for that. Um, I had a good week too. Janeth and I uh, have the same birthday, as you know, and it was last uh, Friday. So we celebrated it on Monday and Tuesday, which 
as one does, right? You have a birthday on the weekend, you celebrate it on Monday and Tuesday, but we did it by, we went up and we rented an Airbnb in uh, Reading, which we'd both never been to before. We're like, let's just, you know, our whole lives are online now. Let's just go somewhere. Um, and so we rented an Airbnb in Reading, PA, which we'd both never been to before. And we, we went hiking on some great trails. We went up to this random thing. If anyone knows about Reading, there's this place called the Pagoda, which is just sitting at the top of this giant hill, like completely incongruous to its surroundings. <laughs> and the history about it is really interesting. Apparently, they were going to start a resort, but they like they ran out of money and they couldn't get the liquor license. So the Pagoda is just sitting there. That it does, It's not functional. Uh, except it sort of like belongs to the city now and is kind of a national park or something. We couldn't go in um, because of COVID. Um, but yeah, we had a really fun time and I managed to cram that in during midterms week for graduate school. So it was it was a little crazy to cram that in. And now I'm up to my eyeballs in grad school midterm stuff where we have take home exams, which strikes me as really humorous because we're already at home. So like every exam is a take home exam, right? Um, but anyway, I'm doing pretty good. I have a lot going on, but I'm, again, really thankful for this podcast to force me to think about something else. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, glad to be here. Glad to be here. Uh, spoiler alert with a large group of people today. There are six people on this podcast. We had to get a whole other platform and everything so that we could record this, which is really cool that we're uh, managing to pull this off. So anyway, as I said, today, our topic is issues that matter. And I don't know if you've heard, you listener listening to this, but there's an election coming up. Don't know if you managed to miss that. <laughs> and, and we've really talked a lot about that if we're going to have a podcast that is focused on talking about real things with real people, it would be frankly absurd to ignore the fact that we're having this election in a very contentious time. And I mean, you know, everything going on. I mean, that would, I don't know how we would do it. Like we'd have to sit and, and like talk about other things and, and pretend in a, in a very disingenuous way. So we're going to do something that a lot of churches wouldn't do. And we're going to talk about issues that matter. And we're going to not ignore the fact that they're happening in the context of a very important presidential, local, Senate, you know, House of Representatives election. Lauren, do you want to talk about what your thoughts on why we decided to do this? And Yeah, well, I think we're doing this because I have been hearing a lot of, you know, dissension and polarized thoughts and words between people. And it just occurred to me, wouldn't it be great to find a way to do the thing which we've quoted John Wesley before, which is to think differently and love alike. And how can we think differently and be civil with one another? And I've been working on this. I'm trying to practice it. I'm uh, sometimes it's harder than other times. And yet I really want to learn how to do this. And so as we discussed it, we thought, what would it be like to bring people together and to listen to others practice it, even as we're practicing it. And maybe if we're all making mistakes and forgiving and, and learning together, we can carry on conversations going on into the upcoming years. And it's a great example for churches 
and all sorts of other organizations to learn how to do this as well, I think. Yeah. And I want to say, Laurieann, you might be working on it, but you are so much better at it than I am about, you know, talking with people <laughs> that you disagree with and all of that, John Wesley, you know, think differently and loving alike. I have to say you're a real model of that for me. Um, and I'm still really uh, at, the, at the starting stages of learning how to do that. And I think that that's a good time to sort of slip in. I don't want to call this a disclaimer, but just more of an explanation that Laurieann and I really thought it was important for us to kind of sit out this conversation um, as we get into specifics. And one of the reasons is that we are both employees of the church, right? And churches are really, we're not, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say churches have to be politically neutral on everything, but what, I, what we aren't allowed to do is endorse a political candidate or a political party or tell you who to vote for or any of that, and we're not going to do that. And so we just thought it would be good to, at least I thought that it would be good to sit out this conversation and also to give you a chance to hear from some other people in our church. <laughs> on that note... Would, would this be a great... I think yeah. it would. <laughs> I was thinking of introducing our lay leader at the church, uh, Sabangale Satole, who, when I say the word lay leader, that is a very important position in the church. It's basically um, just about the very close to the same level as being the pastor. That is the person that everyone goes to um, for advice. That's the person who everyone trusts. It's a high trust position. It's a position where you can sit on any committee. And so when we ask someone to be lay leader, it's because the congregation trusts them and respects them. And so uh, with that, I'd like to introduce uh, Ms. Sabangale Sitole and invite her to take us forward. Hello. Thank you so much, Pastor Lorraine, for that introduction. You know, being a lay leader, as you said, you're being trusted. And I didn't know that when I first joined the church, but I really, really appreciate the opportunity because I have learned so much through this position. So I would like to take a few minutes and just introduce myself. Again, I'm Sabangila Satole. I am a member of the First United Methodist Church of Media and a devoted lay leader. And I like to say that with emphasis because I think it's really, really important. I was born and raised in South Africa, as you all probably know, but I thought I should say that. I came here to uh, join my husband, who was already here. Uh, it's a long story, and I, the ending is very positive, but it was really different. Um, so now we are here together. I am a graduate of uh, Washington University, George Brown School of Social Work in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, in the MSW program. Uh, I have worked in various, various capacity as a social worker, as a social services coordinator, as a manager and director with different organizations, uh, most of them in Philadelphia. And I worked in Head Start, which is really one of my favorite programs in the world. Love Head Start program. So I currently serve as a mentor to social work students from various schools of social work across the southeastern Pennsylvania region. And that really is one of the most fulfilling uh, responsibilities that I love to really help young social workers become the greatest in, in the world. Uh, I'm currently working for the American Red Cross in Philadelphia as a disaster services in that department. 
So I think this is really kind of enough uh, for me at this point. I would just let everyone again know that I am your moderator for this discussion tonight. But first, I would like to give a shout out to my pastor, Pastor Lorraine, Taylor Dutton, our outreach coordinator, my husband, and my daughter, Ayanda Setole, and they all keep me in line with my faith. I really, really appreciate everything that I get from them. And so at this time, I would like to take a few minutes to introduce our three awesome guests. When I say awesome, I mean just that. I will start with Nellie Blackburn, go with Lawrence Clark and Darren Caffery. And each one of them, if they don't mind, if you could just say something about yourself so that we will remember you. Wow, it's kind of hard to follow up after all of that. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Nerly Blackburn, and I'm a member at First Church, and I've been a member for a little bit, uh, a little over two years now. I'm currently working at an organization that does access to uh, healthy and affordable food in Philadelphia. I guess the three things that are really important to me are my family, my friends, and uh, my overall gratitude for all that God has made possible in my life. Um, I decided to join First Church because my first day at that church, everybody made me feel so welcome, like family. And ever since that day, it's, it's just been a wonderful experience being a member of this church. Uh, well, like Nellie said, it's definitely going to be hard to follow up after uh, Sibangale. Um my name is Lawrence Clark. I am an educator. I live in the state of Ohio, and uh, I am a member of the First Church in Media. Um, I am also the nephew of Pastor Lorianne. You know, ever since I uh, became a member of the church, uh, it's always felt like I was really closer to home, my home away from home in uh, Philadelphia. I never got the chance to step foot in the church yet. I've been a remote member, but I feel like this is my church and my place and my home, and I'm just so grateful to be here. I was born in Ohio. I lived in Philadelphia for two years and then moved back. I currently teach at uh, the I Promise School in Akron, Ohio. This is my second year teaching, second year uh, ever. I started there right after I graduated college, and I'm just so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Thank you, Lawrence. I'm Darren Caffrey, and I am actually a very new member to, um, to the First Church. And um, I'll just say, I guess, a little bit about my background, my spiritual background. I was raised in the, in the Catholic tradition early on, you know, attended church you know, as a, as a child. And, um, you know, my fa come from a family of very strong faith, strong believers. So I always, I, I feel blessed that I've always had that feeling of God's presence in my life. Even as a young child, I've always, you know, and I have much gratitude for that. And, uh, even through, through tough times, uh, I just feel that God has always been in my presence. So, and I, you know, and I realize as, you know, as we get older, that that's something that, um, you know, we have to maintain through our, through our actions sometimes. And uh, so as my views on spirituality and um, my views on love and relationships and tolerance began to change, I, I began searching for a new spiritual home and 
that has I've been navigating that for a, a long time, many years. And interestingly, out of the pandemic uh, and the social isolation that uh, you know w- resulted, I was blessed to be connected to uh, First Church virtually. And after attending um, some uh, services and participating in Bible study, just felt like, wow, I felt like I was guided, you know, guided uh, to this spiritual place. And it definitely feels like home. So I'll echo what Lawrence said. Um, I definitely, you know, I feel that this is where I, I need to be. And a little bit about my professional background. I'm uh, trained as a psychologist. I earned my PhD from Drexel University with a focus in neuropsychology, and I do um, brain injury rehabilitation at a at a group practice in New Jersey. And I'm very grateful to be here and have the opportunity to participate in the podcast. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much. I am so excited. I'm so excited because the three of you. I know Nelly, uh, although I didn't know everything. Lawrence, just excited. As you know, I've always been excited about having communication with you. Darren, when we met you on Zoom, we just saw something very important with you. And when I recommended the three of you, I thought that was going to be great. And that is so true. This is going to be unbelievable. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your journey with the listeners and all of us. So we're going to get started. But before we get started, I will say again, our theme for this afternoon is issues that matter. That is so important for this time and everything that's happening, including the pandemic. As Taylor indicated, the election. All those things are very important to us as Christians, as people of faith. So we're going to dive into these issues and just talk about them as people of faith and see where they take us. Before I get started with the questions, I want to say something Pastor Lorraine and I talked yesterday, and she's so great. Uh, We talked about John Wesley that I hadn't thought about, but she brought that out. And and John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, believed that social action was the expression of our faith. And he focused on slavery, economics, education, and thought that this occurred through personal interaction. How about that? This is really huge for our church because Other churches don't touch upon issues, even these issues that are in the Bible. Even for us, these are the issues that John Wesley talked about. And as the father of Methodism, he really came out with something so crucial in our lives as Methodists. He he really was not just concerned about the welfare of the people alone. He was concerned about all these things, you know, slavery at that time, you know, prison reform, all these things are reflected. So we're not afraid and we should not be afraid to talk about these issues that are part of Methodist, that are part of our religion, that, you know, Dr. King, John Lewis, 
And all those, those things started in the church. So why should we be afraid to explore these issues? Of course, as, as Taylor indicated, we're not going to be talking about who we are endorsing or who we support. That is not part of the church. So that we can live alone as we know. But we can dive into these issues as people of, a people of faith and, and see where they take us. So having said that, I want to get started with question one. And question one says, how do you think our faith directs us to advocate for social justice? And how does this shape our views about the economy, healthcare, and climate? So whoever wants to get started, please feel free to get started. We're all in this together. Um, I mean, I can start if you'd like. It's funny, as Darren had uh, mentioned, I was raised in the Catholic Church as well. As I evolved in my spiritual life, I really started to look for a church that kind of aligned with what I felt was important uh, as social, you know, social being socially conscious. And I found that in the Methodist Church. And I think for me, being a person of faith means you are a social justice warrior. Uh, how can you believe in what, you know, the Bible proclaims and follow the tenets if you're not out there to help people and to kind of create a more just society? And by just society, I mean, you know, have people having access to uh, affordable health care, people looking at the climate and saying, we need to make changes so we can have something for our future generations. Um, you know, having a just economy where that works for everybody, not just those who are wealthy amongst us. So I think looking at the tenets of the Methodist Church, I found that that was where the kind of church I needed to be in because it aligned with who I wanted to be as a Christian and as a human being. Yeah, fantastic. I'll echo those sentiments, um, you know, of Nurley and and you know, getting into the um, the background of some of those things, you know, the, with the advocacy. I mean, they're they're based on so so much of the core of our Christian beliefs about compassion and mercy, feeding the hungry and the impoverished and giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless. I mean, and then to, to not only accept those, those uh, beliefs, but then to move them towards, uh, towards advocacy, towards activism and, and actually turning the words into action. I think that that's the real beauty of practicing our, our, our faith. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll just uh, echo the words from uh, Darren and Nellie. I agree with them uh, 100%. This question kind of reminded me of a quote by Maya Angelou, uh, which she said, just do right. Just do right. And I feel like, especially now, when the spotlight is on um, social justice, on health care, on um, the economy, and on climate, it's our job as Christians and as um, spiritual people to just do right, do the right thing, help one another, help thy neighbor, uh, start within our community. Um, I'm, you know, a firm believer that yes, one person can make change or can start that change. I, I totally believe that as um, spiritual people and as Christians, it is our duty to fight for what's right and just do right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would like to add questions for myself. 
the questions would be, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And we know that Jesus always advocated for the disenfranchised, the poor people. And the scripture supports that very well. So I wouldn't disagree at all with what the question asked for, because Jesus was right there uh, at that time. And, and so I absolutely uh, support that. Uh, so we can move on to the next question. Uh, this question is about what John Wesley encouraged us. As Pastor Lorian said, I took that question and I put it right here. John Wesley encouraged us to think differently and love alike. My question is to you. How do you practice this when you have different views from those around you? How do you even do that? How do you love alike? How do you think? You're thinking differently, but you, you're supposed to love alike. How, how is that for all of you? How do you do that? I'll start that one off if that's okay. Uh, this is, you know, with this one, I feel like the core of this gets down to respect. We, you know, we have to start off the, the, the foundation of, of, of dialogue. Um, it has to be respect. And then, of course, there has to be a willingness for dialogue on both sides. So, uh, and that's tough. And I feel like that's what's been, been very difficult lately as the, as the uh, lines of the two sides have gotten more clear, there the respect has kind of fallen to the wayside, and I th- I feel like that's we have to get back to that core of of respect. And then there's I also feel that some of uh, the other things involve personality characteristics that we have to have. Uh, you know, in addition to that willingness to listen, which is is very important, um, we have to also be able to uh, be able to remain calm and centered. And um, that's hard as emotions and tensions run high. A lot of this, this is a lot of, again, what's I think has gone to the wayside, our ability to remain calm and centered and to be diplomatic. And we are all so triggered by everything that is said on, you know, different, the different sides. And, um, it's like we have a circuit that just starts to short circuit and, and then the agitation gets high, the um, irritability, the, and then that's those things. St- we start to lose our calm, lose our centeredness. We start to maybe not be so diplomatic. And it's like we have to be able to learn how to hit the refresh button um, and we have, to, we have to cut that circuit. We have, to, we have to reroute that circuit so that we're not triggered so quickly. And I think that the calmness, that centeredness is, um, we can find that in, in Christ, you know, in our daily meditations, taking the deep breaths, walking in the woods, you know, doing what we need to do to keep ourselves, to keep that temperature, to lower the temperature and lower the, you know, the, um, and, and then also, this is a hard one, you know, not to take the bait. We're baited, you know, people are baited on, on both sides. We, and then maybe we're the baiters. Sometimes uh, we have to we have to learn not to throw the bait and not to take the bait because that's again what that's what drives us away from from our from that core that I spoke about of, of of the respect. So I think that when we can we can do those things, have the respect, be willing, you know, to open the dialogue, stay calm and centered, and 
and cut that circuit for irritability agitation, I think that that helps us to disagree without being divisive. And it, it facilitates a dialogue that can promote um, something better. You know, I, I agree to an extent with Darren in terms of we have to be respectful and we have to want to listen to people. Um, but I also know that there are certain things that I will not discuss with certain people. And I know that that's my limitation and that's my way of protecting myself because I know that, you know, sometimes we're not going to come to an agreement and that's okay. It's okay to kind of like let the conversation go and to be respectful, to understand that our views are never going to align. But like like Darren said, you know, listening to people, being respectful. I send prayers for people. I meditate for people. I pray for them. And I kind of know that we're not going to agree on the subject. So therefore, we're not going to talk about it. And that's how I handle, uh, you know, agreeing to disagree kind of thing. I was really... Uh, really listening deeply with uh, Darren and what Nelly have to say. I, I feel like this is something that I'm working on as an educator to try to listen more and listen, be an active listener as well at different perspectives. Um, I definitely hear where Darren and Nelly are coming from for sure. And I feel like being a listener, I'm, I'm actually in a career where uh, being a good active listener is very, very vital and important. And I also feel like that is very important when it comes to issues um, that you may disagree with another person. Um, I feel that is always important to, to be a listener and an active listener. What I mean by active listener is to really take the other person's opinion seriously even if it might differ from your own. I feel like some of us do listen, but it goes in one ear and out the other ear. It's not going to you know, change a perspective or make me or someone else more open-minded. And I feel like, especially right now, and especially in this contentious time, we should, as Darren said, remain calm and not resort to hostility. But we need to also be active listeners and really take in what someone says, even if we disagree with them, and let them finish their thought as well and not be so quick to judge or cut them off because maybe it brings up something that that triggers you or something like that. So I, I feel like that's something that we, we really have to, uh, as an entire society, work on. I also was hearing a little bit what Nellie said. I feel, you know, something where, where she said that some things, you know, we can't discuss because we disagree. I feel like, especially now, we actually need to have those uncomfortable conversations where we disagree because that's what reconciliation comes from. Like, that's where, you know, that's where we can come to an agreement if we can continue having those uncomfortable conversations and the things that we really don't want to talk about. That's how we get a better understanding of people's perspectives. I, I'm so fortunate to be working somewhere we are starting to have those uncomfortable conversations. And we're really getting to learn more about the people that we work with and the population of students that we have 
And I feel that's really, really important to come together as a society to have those uncomfortable conversations and to just help each other, you know, help us love one another more. So, yeah. Yeah. So when I say um, not wanting to talk to the person about those things, it's more of you don't see me as human and you are just respecting my value. So therefore, we're not going to have that conversation. Like when it comes to issues of racism, sexism, xenophobia and anti LGBTQ uh, views. And I'm not going to have those conversations with people who don't see my humanity. That's what I meant. Like not necessarily not wanting to have difficult conversations, but just when you are disrespectful and we've had the conversation multiple times and you don't see me as a person or as somebody who, who needs to be valued, then I cannot have conversations with you because you're therefore traumatizing me. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's like, you know, we try the best we can to have the conversation. And, you know, I totally understand after you've had the conversation, attempted to maybe have the conversation a few times and, and, you know, there's two different languages being spoken and, and nothing's getting anywhere. Yeah. I think that at that point, it's just like, you have to kind of detach and, and move on. But I, I do think that we have the opportunity by these attempts at the converse, the difficult conversations. I think that we have a real strong opportunity um, as Christians and people of faith to serve as models of really of how to how to mitigate and how to manage these difficult conversations. We can provide kind of a template. And Nurley, you're right. Yeah. I mean, some sometimes it might work and sometimes it might not. When it doesn't work, yeah, we, I agree. We just have to move on. Um, but I really think that the most important part in the attempt when we attempt to have the difficult conversations is that we really we have the willingness to listen and to understand each other and really to see things how other people might see it to kind of maybe try to take the position of the other side. That's very hard, um, you know, for many of us. And, and also to also be able to kind of imagine yourselves in the shoes of the other people. And I think, you know, with, with those things all in combination, I really, you know, that's how we develop, uh, empathy can be developed. And I think I'm hopeful that it can. Um, I think that that's how, how we move forward. If we're able to, we're able to. How much I appreciate uh, the three of you. It's just amazing. Everything that each one of you has said, I have noted that uh, because I was thinking about what, what Nelly was saying uh, I heard one of the news anchors saying something to another anchor who comes after him. Uh, and there was this, this, this person who was talking things that they were really, really crazy, if I may use the word. And, and the next anchor said, why are you even entertaining this person? If it was me, I wouldn't even be talking to him. And I understood that. I understood that. But I'm also understanding the combination of what the three of you, the exchange that is so Christian-like and professional uh, about empathy, about, yes, let's keep this going. Nelly says this, Darren says this, Lauren said, and they all come together and we all can learn from this. I truly would say that I am one of those who are struggling with this question. I am learning so much because I'm like all of you. But today I was talking to a friend about this question and, and I told her that I'm struggling with this 
But, you know, um, she came out with something that was so important that she said, she said, know the God of love before knowing the gift of love from God. See, I wasn't thinking about that. So I kept that in my mind. And, and I said, I'm going to try very hard. I know it's going to continue to be difficult, but I will keep trying and trying to see how far I can go with the love of God, as John Wesley said. Thank you so much to the three of you. That was well done. Well done. Thank you. And that leads us to uh, the question that Darren had started talking about. How do we disagree without being uh, divisive? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to take it just from what you you just talked about, about, um, you know, uh, knowing God, loving God. And I think getting back to, you know, part of my answer to the question uh, earlier about, um, you know, having that uh, one of the components of uh, being able to disagree without being divisive and keeping that calm. I think that part of our ability to keep our calm can come from our personal relationship with our with our God, with our creator by talking to God and, you know, meditating um, and having that personal relationship, I think helps us to keep that sense of calm and centered, puts us in a, in a good place. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think also, as Darren said, you know, obviously being respectful and, and, you know, actively listening to people and just giving them, giving them and sending them love and light and God's mercy when you can't agree, <laughs> you know, like, like the, uh, the saying, I'll pray for you kind of thing and just kind of leave it at that. And just, you know, knowing when to, when to stop, like if, if the conversation does become a little bit, you know, divisive, like saying, being the bigger person and taking a breath and saying, okay, maybe we'll revisit that when we've calmed down. <laughs> so. Yeah, this um, definitely kind of reminds me of what's um, going on because it seems like all of a sudden we kind of forgot how to do that, how to disagree without it becoming divisive. And to me, it goes back to that listening aspect and being an active listener and really taking in the other person's opinion, even if it's something that triggers us or something that we might disagree with. Um, I think that that is very, very important. And I feel that it's also important to communicate our opinions in a respectful way because, you know, it used to be where you can disagree. And what Nellie said, uh, we'll come back to that topic um, and we just agree to disagree. Now, all of a sudden, especially with this election cycle going on, if you disagree, that means that I think less of you because you don't agree with what I like you're less, you're not human, you're less of, you know, a human being, because you don't agree with the things that I agree with. And that that's not okay. And honestly, this is something that I'm working on, especially because, you know, I'm human, I feel strongly about certain uh, issues. And sometimes it takes a lot out of me to hear out someone who disagrees with what I believe is something that, you know, everybody should agree with. But you know, we are all different. I feel like it's really important just to say this again, to be an active listener and really take in what another person is um, saying. And also remember that empathy piece too. 
place yourself in the other person's shoes. Think about how the other person grew up. Um, think about the culture of how the other person grew up. Maybe they didn't grow up with, you know, a lot of diversity or a lot of exposure to different things. Maybe it's not that they don't like a certain group or like a certain thing, it's that they don't know anything about it. So they have these perceived opinions on things that they just need a little bit more information on. And then, you know, and as Christians, we can definitely do our duty to inform them and do right and make sure that they are well informed about maybe things that we we like or our culture. Uh, I, I feel like those things are very important, especially at a time like this. And I'd like to add one more thing to that, if that's all right. Um, so in, and in, in addition to, you know, all those things that we've already talked about, I also think that sometimes it's even, it can even be effective to change the, change the mental set a little bit or, or kind of um, redirect. And when we're people are disagreeing on something, you know, we, we automatically form this mental set of like us us versus them, them versus us, that, you know, that line is drawn. We see ourselves as separated from the other person when in reality, we really are all the same. So it, we can switch sets and maybe, you know, if there's a willingness to say, okay, you know, we disagree, can we find some common ground to agree on and then actually use that, even if it's something very small, use that common ground to start the basis to plant a seed for for a new way of seeing each other as more connected. And I think with, with some form of feeling connected to the other person, to the other side, I think that um, the probability or likelihood sometimes of moving forward, even if it's just baby steps, I think um, it becomes more of a higher probability. That is so amazing. That is so important. Thank you, Darren. I want to go back uh, to uh, question two, where we are talking about love. And I wanted to uh, just mention uh, the truth and reconciliation in South Africa. And, and, and Bishop Desmond Tutu was the leader of, of that uh, reconciliation. It was very difficult. It was very difficult to dialogue with uh, what we call a regime that um, had killed so many people, so many uh, South Africans. But South Africa, with the truth and reconciliation, uh, is, is a cornerstone. The world res uh, respects South Africa because of that. Even today, if there wasn't that truth and reconciliation, uh, South Africa would not be where it is right now. So that, that ties into what the three of you said, you know, we disagree, uh, but you know, what, what are the common grounds? What can we do as, as, as people of God? Uh, uh, B Bishop Desmond Dudu is a person of God and you, you probably all have, you know, learned about him, the things that he does. And he came with that and, and the, 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 the truth came out. People learned how to live together as a people. So I just wanted uh, to mention that. So coming to this other question, for me, the question is, how do we come together 
when we have disagreement with each other. And I think you all have covered that so well and, and said things that somebody would have never thought about. Um, that, that active listening, that calmness, that common ground, even if we disagree, you know, it's so important that, that, that we do do those things. And what will God do? What would God say about this question? And I think it answers itself with what the three of you um, have said. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that leads us to the next question. What do, you, what do elections and, and voting mean to you as people of faith? What does that mean? And we are in this period, as Taylor alluded to that, these are difficult times. As Christians, we have a role to play uh, in this. So what does that mean? I mean, I think for me, it's just an opportunity for my voice to be heard. You know, people have fought, bled and died for the right to vote in this country and all over the world, quite frankly, as you alluded to but with South Africa. So I have to honor that as a person of faith by doing my part and voting, um, no matter what my side is. I need to honor that and honor those people who have paved the way for me to be able to have that right. So it's very important. I vote in every election, not just the presidential election. Yeah, just to echo what Nellie said, I agree with that 100%. I was uh, so fortunate enough to be able to vote early um, in the place that I live in. And this was like my fifth or sixth time voting. But this was the very first time where I, I felt the anxiety and I felt the tension and I felt everything culminating that has happened, you know, just this year alone. And I feel I felt when I was standing in line to vote like one spark and total chaos. Like that's how tense it was. Like you could you could cut it with a knife. And I I just feel so grateful and so fortunate that you know, someone that looks like me, you know, African-American man is able to vote, in my opinion, one of the most consequential elections of our lifetime or any election for that matter. And I can't state enough how important it is to make sure that your voice is heard and not only your voice, but uplift people that may not have a voice, people that may not um, have the same fortunes as you do, and uplift those voices and encourage them to do the same and encourage them to fight with what they believe in as well. So I 100% agree with Nellie in that voting and making sure that our voices are heard are the number one things that we can do, especially right now. I agree with Nurley and Lawrence too. And I think it's important to, um, to participate and utilize the opportunity to participate, to be able to participate in furthering this great democracy that we have and being able to participate in maybe the checks and balances to mitigate maybe threats to the democracy and threats to um, the checks and balances and to be able to be participants or voting allows us to be participants of change. And, you know, as Christians, we, we want to be able to 
advocate for change for the better to to help help others and and to help uh further the you know um other people's uh rights and liberties of this the democracy that we live in i'm i'm hearing a lot of good things about helping others not just us not just us but finding ways to uh, support finding ways to assist those elderly people who may need to hear from us or even young people who may be saying i am not going to vote because my vote doesn't count i'm not hearing anybody in this question saying i'm not going to vote or i'm hearing this this unity about the significance of elections and the significance of of voting and nelly said i vote all the time and 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 i think Lawrence and Darren vote all the time and and so that is very encouraging to hear that to hear how important people died people died um John Lewis who just left us fought so hard and again all this started in the churches as well with with, with spirituality Dr King John Lewis and many others fighting for the right why not why should we not vote why should we say my vote doesn't count but again education is so important because there are really those who may think that way because of being disenfranchised but this is such uh, we thought this would be a great question for us to take with us wherever we go it's ne- it's never too late a lot of states have started voting the lines are long rain shine i watch people standing in lines in the rain and i thought wow why not realize that this is such a significant moment and and i thank you i thank you for that uh so let let's move right along and uh the next question uh which is almost the last question are there any issues that any one of you would not want to discuss and it's okay so i want to hear that i i mean like i said before for me um i'm open to discussing anything but when you start to you know when we've had conversations and you start to minimize my my humanity and my rights as a black woman as a supporter of my lgbtq brother and sister, brothers and sisters or people of other faiths then i probably can't talk to you anymore. Um, but but I'm open to discussing anything and everything. So. I feel the same way. I, I would like to believe that I'm open to discussing everything and that I would, I would open and be willing to have the opportunity to uh, discuss anything. But I think in the reality of my humanness and at sometimes my imperfections, for myself, I try to realize there might be times when there's a pressing issue that I'm so hot or heated about that I have to kind of tell myself, you know what, now is not the time to talk about this issue because it's still fresh. I'm still, I'm still raging about this particular issue. And I don't think that I could have a reasonable conversation with someone. So I try to accept my own limitations too. And, you know, maybe, uh, you know, knowing the, you know, where I'm at, that it might not be the best time to have the conversation. And so then I, I would hope that I would 
you know, be able to realize it, be able to kind of get myself to a better place where I'm more able to have the reasonable discussion with respect and calm. And I think sometimes the responsibility might be on us to say, you know what, I'm not, I can't talk about this right now, but I'm willing to come back to it. Yes, I definitely agree with what Darren just said 100%. It's okay, you know, to have feelings or to have strong feelings or emotion about certain topics. And I feel that being able to recognize your own emotion and being able to recognize that you are not in a position to talk about a certain subject right now because it overwhelms you. I think that's so important to communicate that to whoever you're talking to so they can understand why can't you talk about that topic? You know what I mean? Why can you talk about this? Why can't you have an opinion on that? I think communicating that to whoever you're talking to is very important. And I would just echo what uh, Nelly and uh, Darren said that um, I'm willing to talk about any situation or any issue. Uh, there is no topic that is that I I would feel that I can't discuss. I I believe that I can discuss any topic. But what Nelly said is also very important that we have to remember when we're discussing those topics that we don't resort into insults or categorizing or showing bias or anything like that. We have to make sure that we're being active listeners and really hearing the other person out. I've been fortunate enough to be a part of some difficult conversations where I really had to practice active listening. One topic, uh, I was on another another discussion about racial disparities, and we heavily focused on the topic of white privilege and what that is and what that's about. And that's a very difficult and uncomfortable conversation. And even saying it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. But I feel like having these important and uncomfortable conversations allows us to come together. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Lawrence. And like Darren was saying, um, you know, sometimes you have a, a point where you really, you're sort of overheated, like, especially with what was going on over the summer with all the racial tension. Like there were points where I was like, I'm not ready to have this conversation with anybody right now because it's just too emotional. It's too raw right now. Let me take some time to digest and then we can come back to that. Yeah. I think it's okay. I, I think that it's it's important for us to be able to say, you know what? Right now, this I, I I I'm not sure where to go with this, what to do with it. I'm I'm still it's still raw, and uh, you know I'm not unwilling to have the conversation. But you know what? Let's 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 come back to this when either I'm in a better place or if the other person is in a in a, in a you know not in a great space um, to even say, you know what? It sounds like this is raw for you. You know, and maybe maybe we should come back to this when when you're feeling a little bit more you know, when you're kind of settled down more and and we can have a more reasonable and rational conversation about it. And just to add one more thing too about that, sometimes you really just don't have an opinion and that's okay not to have an opinion because maybe you don't know enough about a situation. I remember, you know, over the course of this year about all of these, um, you know, deadly police shootings of um, unarmed Black people and police officers, you know, people were surprised when I would say, well, I I don't know how I feel. And I was just totally being honest about it because I felt like I don't know enough information. 
And I feel like that's also important to communicate as well, not knowing or not having an opinion. And not having an opinion on something doesn't mean that you are for the quote unquote bad side or for the other. That's not like a safe word to use just to get yourself out of the conversation. Sometimes it's you honestly just don't know. And I feel like it's important for other people to understand that it's okay not to know something or not to have an opinion on it. And it's not just a code word for meaning, oh, I definitely support this or not support that. But just being able to continue being an active listener and understanding uh, people's perspectives is very important. I agree. I agree entirely. Just, just to you know, go back to what was happening over the summer and is still happening about racism, it, and it's all really about about God. We're not diverting to talk about something that we, you know, we shouldn't even be talking about. Uh, I was lucky enough to take a class, a racism class. Um, Taylor was one of, of those um, that was offered by uh, one of the professors uh, who wrote a book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. What does that mean? And uh, I mean, it was just beautiful to, to be able to hear something that you don't want to hear, but you're hearing and it makes sense to you. And I also listened to, to some experts who talk about uh, if you want to learn more, you need to talk to someone who doesn't look like you because you're going to get a different perspective. You're going to learn to accept uh, even if you don't want to hear the truth. Uh, and so those are the issues that sometimes people don't want to talk about. Uh, but we cannot bury them because they are a reality of what's happening. And so uh, that's, this is where we are. Uh, is there anyone else who wants to add something before we conclude this part two? I just wanted to add, um, yes, uh, how to be anti-racist. I, I think that's where, what I said before, those uncomfortable conversations that need to be had. Some, those, that's a classic example of an uncomfortable conversation that just needs to be had because, that has not happened yet. And that is the reason why things are the way they are today. Yeah. And I feel being an anti there, of course, there's a difference between, in my opinion, uh, between not racist and anti-racist. That's the difference between being a bystander and then being the person that stands up for the person getting bullied. I feel like being anti-racist is something that there's no finish line. It's something that you're continuing to practice and practice and practice. Just like being a teacher and being an educator, it's you're continuing your education. You're continuing your listening. You're never really, you know, that perfect teacher. It's something that you continue to practice and practice and practice for the rest of your life. And I think, and I hope that's something that we all do. That is so true. That is so true, Lawrence. There are two things. You could either be a racist or anti-racist. There's nothing in between. And, and that was so clear when, when I read that book, which I, you know, I have. And, and when, you know, when that professor talked about it, I was like, wow, yeah, there's no in between. It's either you are racist or anti-racist. So that is important that 
we kind of like keep learning, as you are saying, you are a teacher, you're still, you're still moving, you're still learning. And, and so all those things, these difficult issues, they're difficult, but they, they're worth tackling if we can. Anybody else? Yeah. So I, I, uh, you know, getting back to, you know, how, um, our Methodist, um, background is kind of leads us towards advocacy and, and activism and, and what you and Lawrence have just talked about reminds me of, of the words of, of, uh, of Dr. King that in the end, uh, we can remember, um, not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And I think as advocates in our faith, we have to speak out against the injustices. And I think uh, that that's what moves us forward and, and makes us better people and a better nation. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And also, are we going to be an active participant or are we going to be a bystander? Like, life is not easy. You have to participate in every aspect of life. And when you see injustice in the world, you have to be active and you have to, especially if you're a person of faith and, you know, you, you proclaim to be a Christian, then you have to get involved. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, those protests that, that, that are taking place, there are a lot of Christians there. Those marches, there are a lot of Christians there. And that is what God would want us to do, to stand up for our rights, for, for social justice, for other people, for poor, disenfranchised, all those people who don't have the means, uh, that's what God would want us to do. And with that, if my awesome guests uh, have exhausted everything that they wanted to say tonight, I feel like we need to just continue to talk. I am so excited. I'm really, really, truly excited. If not, I'm just going to have to hand it over to our awesome Pastor Lorian and our energetic outreach coordinator, Taylor, and say take over for the wrap-up if we need to wrap-up at this point. Thank you. Thank you so much, Samangale. Um, that was great. You did such a wonderful job leading that and, and t- uh, fielding those questions and doing something that, frankly, Laurieann and I have not done yet. We've only had one guest at a time. Um, and three three people was really great. So I just wanted to, first of all, again, give a thousand thanks to both Sabangale and our three guests, Darren, Nerly, and Lawrence, uh, for joining and giving their awesome perspectives on all of this. I would love to talk briefly, because um, this, is, this, is this is one of our longer episodes, which is fine. But just briefly, uh, the three of us, what our takeaways are from that conversation and what we feel like we just learned from those from those three guests of ours. I think if there was a bingo card for that conversation, I think difficult conversations would have been a square that ever that would have really been filled up. <laughs> the word difficult, the words difficult conversations came up a whole time, a whole lot. Um, and like, who likes having difficult conversations? I know I don't. Um, (laughs) but I think that was one thing that was through, that was across the board is like, and I think that, you know, people talked about sometimes we can't do it. Right. And I, I would agree that there's, I'm not really interested in having any more conversations about whether, you know, I should be able to get married. Like, I'm not going to have that conversation with somebody, you know, but I, I also think that there's a lot of other conversations that I am willing to have. And 
maybe if I'm willing to have the conversations, you know, on behalf of the people who, who shouldn't have to, right? So if I can speak up for the rights of women or the rights of people of color as someone who doesn't, who is more privileged in those areas, like, I think that's kind of maybe what I got from that conversation is that might be my responsibility, as Darren said, to speak up for other people and not just myself. So that's my takeaway. I agree with you, Taylor. That was my, I, I, that difficult, the the last question about issues, uh, I was looking forward to hearing Mm what our three guests would say. They were just incredible, honestly. I took out things that I I didn't expect. Uh, They did show that they they disagree, but they agree. There was no fighting over that. They they did say, you know, I disagree with that. And somebody else um, showed a a different point of view that they all kind of like together so that it was necessary to to agree with that, even, even if they disagreed. So I thought that was really great. But again, there were things that they differed, but they were more on the side where they agreed as Christians about what needs to be done, what they could do, and for me, what Jesus would have wanted us to do. Yeah, I do, I wanted to just say one thing about each person that I took away, and that was, um, I think from, uh, I think one thing I heard was the importance of active listening, and that was something that Lauren spoke about, and this idea of leaning into and trying to really be present, and what that means in a conversation as opposed to maybe shutting down or not being able to listen to someone who may be speaking different views. I also heard Nurley saying that she is very aware of when she's being diminished or not recognized, her humanity not being recognized, and how that is a critical point in a conversation as to whether or not that can continue. And I respect that. I've never heard it said in that way, but I, I certainly respect that. Um, and I heard Darren saying about a little bit about pausing. Sometimes if a conversation seems hard to, to have, it's it's okay to say, I want to discuss this. I just can't discuss it now. And there were just those are just maybe one thing from lots and lots of choices I could have made as far as takeaways, but maybe just one thing from each person that I heard that I really I will take away and try to uh practice, I believe, going forward. Right. I must say that I heard calmness. I heard uh, be still, even though, you know, Darren didn't say it that way, but he talked about calmness. Even when you say something, even if you disagree with something, have that calmness about you. And all that active listening. I mean, the three of them, I took a lot. (laughs) I just want to put all that together and said, as a moderator, I learned so much from them. And as I said, I just wish that we could just go on and on and on uh, with this because they were all just ready to share, just ready to work together in a seamless way. There was so much seamlessness in this conversation with each one. No one, you know, spoke over the other person. I mean, they gave each other a chance. So that's the professionalism. And that's what Christians also do. Just give each other space. Yes. Amen. Uh, um, 
I want to make sure that I don't, and I know that we've kind of touched on this, but I want to make sure that I definitely say it. I, as an employee of this church, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I am going to tell you to vote. (laughs) I know that you might be listening to this in different states with different rules about early voting, but most states have allowed some form of early voting or mail-in voting, Um, not quite all, but most. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't made a plan, it's coming up on two weeks away as we record this. By the time you hear it, it'll probably be much closer to the election. And so vote if you haven't already and make sure it's one day. If you have to stand in that line for hours, you have to stand in the line for hours, but do it. <laughs> it is just too important. I also want to say something that I really feel strongly about is that voting is the floor. Um, a lot of people have really looked at voting as, and we've, you know, framed this episode to talk about, you know, politics and elections. What do they mean to us? And I think they're super important. I also personally don't think that that's the end. I don't think you get to drop your ballot or punch your ballot or mail your ballot, whatever you end up doing, and then, uh, you know, wash your hands like Pontius Pilate and say, that's it. I've done my thing. I'll try it. I'll do it again in four years. First of all, you need to vote in midterm elections. And second of all... I think that it's only the baseline of helping others and 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 doing this, getting involved, and 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 you know being the person that John Wesley or more importantly Jesus would want us to be of of caring for others and fighting the good fight and doing having the difficult conversations and doing all the hard things. It's like voting voting's good, but there's a lot more to to do as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would like to say something in you know to conclude what I wanted to say, um, I would like to say that there are reasons for hope. There are reasons for hope in times of suffering. And I consider these times as difficult and suffering. And as Bishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa of the Anglican Church says, hope, quote, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness, close quotes. That is the hope that uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson talks about, and that's what Desmond Tutu talks about. Thank you. I believe Sabangale brought everything around um, completely with that last quote, and I, I think that does that does help us to conclude on a very positive, hopeful note. So thank you. Thank you so much, for, uh, Laurie Ann. Thank you, Sabangale. Thank you for all of our panel. And I hope that you will all make a voting plan and to tune in next time on The Trolley Stops Here. The Trolley Stops Here is a ministry of First United Methodist Church in Media, Pennsylvania. It's hosted by Laurie Ann Rookard and Taylor Darden. Our technical assistant is Janeth Wirasinghe, and our podcast is edited by Ayanda Sithole.